the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Real Life Radio is sponsored by River City Community Church. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's what Jesus said in John 10.10. Hey, have you ever been skeptical of faith? What can we learn about faith and skepticism from one of the world's most famous doubters? We're in a series focusing on the followers of Christ in the New Testament with a look at a man named Thomas. The message is called The Intellect of Faith. Here's Pastor Sean. It's time for Real Life Radio. You ever had doubts or been skeptical about something connected with this faith of ours? If so, I think I've got something to share with you today. This idea of skepticism. And sometimes you feel guilty. I remember a a few years back, it was actually quite a few years ago, I was on a missions trip with a youth group, and I was leading the trip, and there was a bunch of uh, students. And there was a lady who went by, went along with us, a sponsor, and she was a very, uh, she had a reputation as a very spiritually minded lady. God spoke to her, and she would share, and people would go to her for prayer. You know, just, she had kind of this reputation. And so she, on this trip, I had never spent this much time with her. She, on this trip, starts... You know, when something would happen, she would just say, you know, the Lord really revealed to me that that was going to happen. I had a sense it was going to happen. And then she did it again after the fact and did it again after the fact. And I'm like, I got to the place where I'm like, boy, it'd be so cool if God, if you told us that beforehand when he like revealed it before instead of always after when it kind of already happened. And I I felt bad. Okay, there. All right. I'm not an evil person as as evil, but you, you, you need, okay. I'm being honest here. You know what I'm talking about. I I was just a little bit like, oh, come on. Why do I got to be? I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. But there was this sense of like, yeah, it's awful convenient. They always seem to know after the fact. Have you ever felt like that about something? And it just, and and you kind of beat yourself up. It's like, I don't like that, you know, but it is what it is. I've just seen so many people in my years in the context of the church try to manufacture the miraculous. And my first gut response is often skepticism. Skepticism. Now, let me just be clear. I absolutely believe in the power of God. I absolutely believe that he can work miraculously and does. I'm a true believer. But what is it with this skepticism? Because I think so many people throw things around. And Okay, let me just declare this right now for me and for others. This is a judgment-free zone. Okay, judgment-free zone. Skeptics, you're safe today. Okay? I know sometimes around the church you keep quiet because you're like, I don't want to be the guy raining whenever he's afraid. I don't want to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Today, judgment-free zone, okay? You're safe. One of those things that sometimes I'll hear people say, oh, it's a God thing. Oh, let me tell you about a God thing. They have God thing. And it's like, I'm not sure that was a God thing. I don't know, maybe. You know, I'm glad God gave you that close parking spot. I don't know if that was a God thing because there's... There's this little old lady who needed it way more than you. I don't know that God gave you that over her while she's walking with her walker from eight spaces back, and you're right up front. I'm glad you think it's a God thing. I just don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. Can God give you a, a parking space? Sure, he can if he wants to. God, he certainly can. 
I just don't know if he did. And, and please, let me just say real clear. Everything in the world is actually a God thing. You need to know that. I fundamentally believe that. In him we move, we live, we have our breath, our life, our meaning. All of it is in him because of him. So yes, it's all a God thing. But I just don't know that it means, you know, I don't know if that word means what you think it means, you know. <laughs> Several of you got that reference. Good. God bless you. Let's move on. Uh, I ran into a guy this weekend who was a part of our church, and now he's over at our Northwest Church, uh, Compass Church, with Aaron and Brianna Powers. And uh, he reminded me back of a Super Bowl party that we'd had, because we have a big Super Bowl party every year as a kind of an outreach thing. And one year, the Bears were in the Super Bowl against the Indianapolis Colts. And oh, he remembered, because I had my shirt. I'm from Chicago, big Bears fan, right? Had my shirt, my hat, my son, and we were both being quiet and, and you know, everything, of course, as we, you would expect Ryan and I to be when our team is in the Super Bowl. The game opens, if you remember that game, you remember how the game opens, the, the Colts kick off to the Bears. Devin Hester runs back the first ball for, for a touchdown. Oh, it was beautiful. I'm like, that's a God thing. I knew it was a God thing. I watched, it was like the Lord's will right there. Mm. Thank you. Mm. I'm having church on Super Bowl Sunday. Then the Bears score again at the end of the first quarter. It's 14-6. It's a God thing. I knew it. I'm like, the hand of the Lord is on the Chicago Bears, and he's moving right here. Then, unfortunately, Peyton Manning showed up. I'm still angry and bitter. Because, see, Peyton and the Colts outscored us 23-3 for the rest of the game. Very important thing. A football game is actually four quarters. You just need to know that, okay? It's four quarters. And in the last three, they outscored us 23-3 for a convincing victory. And then I knew this wasn't a God thing at all. This was not a God thing. In all honesty and fairness, have you ever felt skeptical about sometimes the things of God? Have you ever felt skeptical about the supernatural, certain aspects of our faith? Have you ever listened to skeptics and kind of wondered, eh, do they have a point? Have you ever heard testimonies from people and doubted? Have you ever said, I really want to see it? Then if you have, you have an ally in the gentleman we're going to meet this morning, Thomas. Thomas is the poster child for doubters and for skeptics everywhere. And I agree with the premise of our video. I think Thomas got a bum rap. It was one time. It was one time he expressed doubt that a guy was raised from the dead and he's forever labeled Doubting Thomas. Really? Seriously? You remember the first message in this series when I talked, I brought the rock and I talked about Peter? You remember that message? Remember what Peter did when he corrected Jesus and he went and corrected Jesus and, and Jesus was talking about his death and he says, no, no, Lord, forbid it, may it never be so. You remember what Jesus said to him? He said, get behind me, Satan. Well, we don't call him Simon Satan, do we? No, he gets to be called Simon Peter, Simon Petra, Simon the Rock. Poor Thomas one time, and he has to be called Doubting Thomas. There's an interesting passage in John chapter 11 where we get to see Thomas. There's a few. Thomas wasn't one of the more prominent disciples. In, in John chapter 11, Jesus' good friend Lazarus had died, and they were discussing going to be with his family. You know, that he was going to be there. And someone points out, yeah, you know, but the Jews there, they want to kill you. They're trying to kill you. 
The religious leaders want you dead. But Jesus goes anyway. And in John eleven sixteen, 16, we hear from Thomas. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. How about honest Thomas? Can we call him that? Or how about courageous Thomas? Because he actually did go. And actually, tradition tells us that Thomas ultimately laid down his life for his faith. He was martyred. A few chapters later in John chapter 14, Jesus, remember, he's, tonight he's betrayed. He's telling them of what's going to happen. He tells them about heaven, where he's going. And in John 14, verse 3, he says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus responds. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except from me. How about Thomas the thinker? Thomas the outspoken, the bold. He said what everyone was thinking. And because of it, we have John 14, 6, that amazing, illuminating passage that tells the way he's talking about is himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Because Thomas asked the question. In the book of Acts, there's a group of people called the Bereans, and they are commended for being critical thinkers, for checking the scriptures to see if what the Apostle Paul was saying was true. And they're commended. This is a good thing. What Thomas does is typically a good thing. Well, then what's the problem? Why has he got this negative nickname, Doubting Thomas? Well, it's all found in John chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, why don't you flip over to John chapter 20. If you have an electronic version of the Bible, that's awesome. If you have a paper version, whatever. But you'll want to read this. John 20, beginning in verse 24. This is after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. Jesus had visited, we find right before this passage, he had visited the disciples But we're going to discover Thomas wasn't with them on that first visit. Beginning at verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, his Aramaic or Hebrew name was Thomas. The Greek version of that is Didymus, and his name meant the twin. Some people got really weird later on and tried to say that Thomas was a twin of Jesus. Well, of course, that was ridiculous, but his name does mean the twin. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He had appeared to them after his resurrection, but he wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, remember they pierced him with a spear, I will not believe. That is a very strong statement. Let me read that again. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails are, put my hand in his side, I will not believe. That's pretty powerful. What is the source of this vehement kind of statement? The strong disbelief. I want to suggest there seems to be more than to this. Because remember, in John chapter 11, remember when they went to Lazarus? And he said, well, let's go with him and die as well. You remember what happened? What happened when they went and saw Lazarus? Jesus raised him from the dead. He spoke, Lazarus, come forth. Remember, and Lazarus, Jesus raises this guy from the dead. He'd seen it happen. 
you remember he'd been with these disciples for three years. He knew them well. They, these were not strangers to him. They weren't people who were just making some wild claim that he didn't know. He knew them well. Did he really not believe them? Did he think they were making this up? Did they think there was some group delusion? Now, I want to suggest I think there's something more going on. I think the reason he couldn't believe them, he chose not to believe them, was the pain of disappointment was too great to risk all over again. Interesting question is, why wasn't he with them the first time? Was that because he couldn't handle the disappointment? It does illustrate for us the danger of isolation. When you're going through hard things, the last thing you want to do is isolate yourself and be alone. We want to take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in a message called The Intellect of Faith. The series is called The Followers. If you'd like to hear the full message or even watch the video podcast from Pastor Sean, it's available right now on demand on the sermon page at the River City website called reallife.org. And if you'd like to come and check out River City Community Church, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. I talk to a lot of people, and many seem to feel like they're settling for a whole lot less. Hi, I'm Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church, and we are so convinced that we were made for something better. We call ourselves a church for real life. I'd like to invite you to join us for one of our weekend gatherings, which are an exciting and artistic blend of music, reflection, and practical insights, all designed to explore the life that God meant for us. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church. And back to the message, The Intellect of Faith. This is Real Life Radio. Well, we're told, verse 26, a week later, Jesus' disciples, his disciples, were in the house again, and Thomas this time was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, understand, he'd said exactly the same thing last time. The doors are locked. He's now in a different kind of body. It was physical. They could touch him. They could see him touch him. It was a physical body, but in a way that was different than before his resurrection. He would simply, he just simply appeared in the room. And so we think Jesus saying, peace be with you, because, well, that's a thing that Jesus would say. That's a very Jesus-like thing to say, peace be with you. I think it was because they were freaked out. Because they're still having to process this whole thing. And understand something. I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know, flippant in that thought. I think they were in one of the scariest times of their lives. Not only had they seen Jesus crucified, and now we're trying to process this resurrection thing that was totally blowing their minds. He wasn't just crucified or just killed. He was executed. And you need to know they were next in line. These were scary times. And that message, peace be with you, was really important. And I want to suggest to you, Many of us recognize that right now we're living in scary times in many ways. The world is changing so quickly. And a lot of people are scared. And I think that message from Jesus, peace be with you, is a welcome one that we should heed and listen to. 
So that's what he said to them. He said, peace be with you. And you can imagine, the next words in the passage are, then he said to Thomas, but I don't think he just, peace be with you, and then starts talking to Thomas. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine what Thomas is feeling when Jesus is there, and he realizes who it is? Can you imagine kind of the red in his face? Not just embarrassment, but that pressure, that, because you know Jesus looked at him and saw Thomas. And the scripture says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Thomas, reach out your hand into my side. See the wound. It's not condemnation. It's fascinating to me that Jesus isn't afraid of our doubts and questions. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hands. Put it on my side. Stop doubting and believe, Thomas. He's not afraid of our doubts and questions. He's not intimidated. He doesn't mind the inquiries of the skeptic. He's not insecure. He's not hurt. I just want to encourage you. Don't beat yourself up for having questions and doubts. Know that they're safe with him. I think Thomas had a sense of that because Thomas' response is simply, my Lord and my God. Now, what's Interesting, as Jesus offers his hand aside, there's no indication in the passage that Thomas actually did it. That Thomas actually said, give me that. Come here. With the things Hollywood can do nowadays. Let me see. Checking out his face. Come here. There, there's no indication that he did any of that. It's like in a moment in that encounter with Jesus, all of his fear, his doubt, his baggage is put to rest. And this statement that he says is powerful. My Lord and my God. He just surrendered his skepticism, whatever was behind it, with this amazing confession. Understand, that's the culmination of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our God. Understand, Thomas is a Jew. Um, Jews were monotheistic. To call anyone other than God, God, was the number one sin. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No, Thomas knew exactly what he was saying. This is the promised Messiah, the only begotten of the Father, God and man incarnate. And he professed that simply. It's interesting. John, who's giving us this information, began his gospel with this similar thought. This is written very near the end. John began... Remember, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then he goes in verse 14 and said, The Word became flesh. He's talking about a person, Jesus. The Word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we beheld him as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Thomas, just my Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to him, told him, Because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Is this a rebuke of Thomas? Or is this simply a word to us? See, they'd all seen Jesus and believed. John goes on and gives us why he told us this story, why this is part of the gospel. 
I don't think Jesus is so much rebuking Thomas. I think he's saying, you guys have seen and believed. Blessed are those who don't see and believe. They all saw and believed. That doesn't, they're not in that category. But we are. And then John tells us why this is so important. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in the book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This whole thing is about belief. Belief is central to our faith. It is how we become followers of Jesus Christ. It is all about belief. The, little, the, the passage that we teach our little kids, one of the first verses you'll hear in Sunday school. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Paul writes in Romans that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. This idea of this powerful concept of, of belief. There is a God. I need him. Because of my sin, he sent his son, Jesus. I believe who Jesus is. I believe he can do what he said he he can do. And my belief means I put my trust in him. It's all about belief. But I think there's a certain degree where all of us can relate to Thomas because we all face obstacles to our belief, don't we? Things that kind of get in the way of this central core tenet of our faith, this belief. I would ask you this morning, what is it that makes it hard for you to believe? everybody's different, but I'll bet for every one of us, there's something that kind of every once in a while, we presses a button. I don't know. Is it science? The skepticism of science? Some of you believe science is such established fact that when you hear that barrage of, of evidence and information, it just causes you to go, I don't know. Is it public opinion? Is it just a simple fact that so many people don't believe? Can they all be wrong? And the fact that we don't like to be at odds with the majority. So is that the thing? Is it public opinion that causes you some heartburn when it comes to belief? How about past experience or pain? Well, you say it's true, but I experienced this, and these people were like this to me, and if that's what a Christian is, forget it. You can have it. I don't want any part of it. So that everything, the evidence, the truth, the word of the gospel is all filtered through this lens of our hurt. I think for some people, maybe it's even more basic than that. Just the problem of pain in general. How could a good God allow the things that happen in the world? How could that be? Maybe we should be looking at the problem of free will and the problem of our limited perspective. We don't have all the information. That's a really significant thing. I know people who've walked around with pain. I prayed for my loved one and God didn't heal them. How can that be? They died anyway. I prayed and they died anyway. Well, then what good is it? Understand something. Prayer has never been a way to avoid death. Prayer for healing has never been a means to avoid death. The one thing that everybody who Jesus prayed for and everybody who Jesus healed in the gospel has, they all died. See, We look at that's the dividing line. If they live, he's real, and I got what I wanted, woohoo, then God's good. If they don't, then it's all garbage. Well, that's ridiculous. Everybody dies. And understand, we are seeing one side. God sees the whole picture. 
He sees on the other side. We're making these judgments of God. It's interesting. The Greek word for doubt is of the same root as the Greek word for judgment. We're judging God based on our limited little slice of experience and information that we have when he has the whole picture. He sees death very differently than we do. But yet we cast these judgments. Maybe we should be looking at the problem of free will and the problem of limited perspectives rather than just the problem of pain. Another reason many are skeptical is they're just not comfortable with the implications of belief. I choose not to believe because if there is a God, if he's real, then I probably have some responsibility to him and I'm not prepared to deal with that. I want to live the way I want to live. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want there to be a God, therefore there is not. Just know, nobody's neutral in this. This has real life implications. Thank you, Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Real Life Radio in a message called The Followers and the Intellect of Faith, as we'll hear part two next week. But if you'd like to hear the full unedited message and the series, it's available right now when you find the sermons link at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to come and visit us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park. See all the details, directions, and service times also at reallife.org. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church, we hope you join us again next time for more Real Life. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. I talk to a lot of people, and many seem to feel like they're settling for a whole lot less. Hi, I'm Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church, and we are so convinced that we were made for something better. We call ourselves a church for real life. I'd like to invite you to join us for one of our weekend gatherings, which are an exciting and artistic blend of music, reflection, and practical insights, all designed to explore the life that God meant for us. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.